Hello and welcome to The Block Explorer. I'm Colin Brightfield. Hey folks, I'm Cash Upton. The Block Explorer is here to educate and inspire you about the world of crypto and NFTs. We'll do deep dives into critical concepts for understanding what's happening and discuss current events shaping the space. We're making this podcast for the curious, the free thinkers and the change makers that propel us forward. As we embark on our adventures, please do remember that none of this is financial advice and crypto can be risky. In this episode, we take the green pill. Using blockchain tools to align incentives is what helps mission-driven communities align and create public goods. And this is sometimes called regenerative finance or regenerative economics. We're going to break down the narrative that crypto and climate are not aligned. We're going to show that crypto is one of the best tools for climate action solutions and also future trends in crypto for a better world ecosystem. We're super passionate about this topic. And it's this episode has been a long time coming. We've done a lot of work on the behind the scenes to get um, ready for this episode. And uh, ever since we went to East Denver, right, Cash? So what are you excited to do, uh, you know, to do this episode? Yeah, absolutely. You, the resounding narrative at East Denver was the regenerative uh, crypto financial tools that are out there and, and regenerative uh, systems that can be, uh, you know, allied with and and uh, added incentives for. So as we're at this tipping point of environmental catastrophe and, you know, massive tragedy of the commons coordination issues, it's really exciting to see these tools of regenerative crypto economics that are actually allowing for positive environmental and social externalities uh, to be one of the main functions of economic activities because of leverage of the blockchain. Well put, Cash. Yeah, I, I agree with everything that you said. And, you know, I'm excited as well because public goods are something that a lot of us just take for granted. We just, you know, assume that we're going to have clean water, clean air, uh, access to green spaces, um, nature, roads, uh, you know, police departments and, you know, security, right? That's a public good that a lot of us are maybe feeling like, wow, okay, yeah, that's a public good that I usually just take for granted. But there's a lot of people in the world that are really feeling the lack of security, right? So these are all things that um, we all need to for have to have human thriving, and the way that our current institutions are built and the current systems work don't always take in account, you know, how valuable these resources are, and so there's sometimes these kind of asymmetric things that happen where you know, like no one's taking care of the oceans, and look what happens to the oceans, or no one's taking care of the earth. There's no, there's not enough investment in that because the market's not building that into the bottom line. And what a lot of this uh, movement is about is how can we put earth as part of our business model? How can we put social justice as part of our business model and build it into the actual system of how the infrastructure of these systems work? Not rather than it be like this afterthought that like, okay, now we have to go donate to these nonprofits that are going to go fix all these problems that are happening because of all these systems. And it's like, well, how about we explore it? The systems themselves and make better, better ones now because we have new technology that's unlocking new possibilities. Absolutely agree. Love it. So let's set the stage. Uh, part one of this episode, we're going to say, um, what is refi? Talk about uh, the different aspects of regenerative finance. Uh, what does it mean to be taking the green pill and uh, dive deep into public goods funding? And part two of this episode, we're going to define public goods and explore how do we define public goods. And we're going to talk about why you should care more in depth and the long-term view of how this actually affects you as an individual and how it affects us as communities moving into the future. And then we'll finish off with part three for a quick overview on some real-life projects that are in the space uh, actually doing regenerative financial projects currently as we speak. Yeah, in part three, we're going to figure out who's taking the green pill. And also, you're going to learn how you can also take the green pill yourself. So, Cash, let's begin with part one. Setting, Let's set the stage. What is regenerative finance, also known as refi, or green pill, public goods? What is all this kind of stuff, crypto regenerative economics or regenerative crypto economics? You know, there's a lot of all these cool sounding terms. What does it all mean? Tell us. 
Yeah. So we'll, we'll start with a big shout out to Kevin Awaki, uh, one of the, the biggest movers in the space, uh, founder of Gitcoin and GitHub, a big proponent of open source software. You know, the idea of bringing access to education to everyone, not having these barriers to entry for essentially information. And the quote, taking the green pill is a pledge that you can take on uh, Kevin Owaki's website, as well as um, you know greenpill.com. And you essentially uh, pledge to donate at least 1% of your income to um, regenerative, uh, sustainable um, projects. And you know you could start at 1%, you can go a lot more. Um, and then 1% Kevin- of your net worth, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Net worth uh, as opposed to income. So, uh, yeah, super bullish to, you know, say, Hey, I'm making this pledge. And then on the other side of it, Kevin Owaki has, uh, a, a really cool, uh, book that he just came out with, um, called green pilled regenerative crypto economics. Um, and what's really cool about that, that book and just kind of the movement in general is that it's exploring the intersection of programmable money, uh, game theory, um, and mechanism design. So it's essentially um, seeing how the market can use regenerative Web3 tools, applications, and digital assets um, to essentially bring regenerative economical projects to the crypto space and out to the world. Yeah, and there's a really cool quote um, from that book that I want to share, which says... uh, Quote, we explore the intersection of programmable money, game theory, and mechanism design. We search for powerful new ways to fund, design, develop, and market regenerative Web3 air applications and digital assets. We launched the meme of regenerative crypto economics into the world. And so it is this intersection of crypto and environment and social good, public goods, all coming together because now we have these new, we're creating a new financial economic system. And while we're doing that, you know, why not look at some of the ways that you know our, our previous financial system didn't work for the earth or didn't work for certain um, communities? And if we are taking the time to be intelligent about this, can we build in ways that um, make sure that we include all those positive externalities? Right. And, and you can go ahead. And with I'd love the beginning of that programmable money, right? So we have smart contracts on the blockchain. And so we can actually program values into our money and program, you know, how that monetary system interacts with it, with the real world. Yeah. Because you can't really program a dollar bill, right? But with, with crypto, it allows, it allows the tokens to essentially have values. You can, you can encode values into the money and an ethos into the money. And this is kind of the innovation, right? It's it's all of a sudden cryptocurrency, blockchain, smart contracts allow us to put political beliefs into our financial systems. And this can be used for good, which what we're trying to do. But obviously, you know, there's other ways that it can be used for bad, like the digital central bank digital currency of China, the digital one, they're building surveillance into their money. And that's becoming a surveillance currency because they're going to be able to freeze anyone's wallet, anyone's account, anywhere where they want remotely and watch every single transaction. So you can see, you know, here we're talking about positive externalities, but there can be, you know, because this money is programmable, right? It can be programmed to for nefarious or, you know, possibly, you know, detrimental uh, externalities as well. Like it's being used for surveillance in some places in like China. Yeah, and, and we we direct our listeners to go listen to the first episode of Green Pilled. Um, they are starting off a bit more technical, so uh, you know we're here on the Block Explorer to synthesize some of those uh, more complicated concepts and really make it uh, more accessible to a, a wider uh, audience of listeners. But definitely go check that one out. They um, they go over some really cool concepts. You know, the whole concept of being a region instead of a degen. After we've seen you know a year of degen, you know. DeFi, where people are, you know, making massive sums of money, but also losing massive sums, and they they talked about the idea of a solar punk, right? So, um, you know, taking the cipher punk uh, hacker values, but expanding them to the solar punk values of caring about the environment and being able to, you know, leverage these tools to actually benefit uh, the the ecosystem. Yeah, exactly. And then there's further ways that regenerative systems are being built in some NFT projects. And you've seen a few different NFT projects incorporate regenerative backends, whether it's offsetting the minting of those NFTs with carbon offsets, which is like a first step. 
you know, but now there's even more meaningful things that are happening where NFT, um, NFT artists might partner with a charity. There's one called Octopunks, which is a spin-off CryptoPunks. It's a project on optimism. There's a Moonshot Bots, where all the primary sales went to public goods. There's NounsDAO, which has public goods fundraising. So there's all these um, multiple ways that you can get involved in taking the green pill, right? It doesn't have to be through decentralized finance. It doesn't have to be through a direct kind of climate organization. It can also be through an NFT project that uses art to support regenerative crypto economics. And I think that's what's really cool is that we can combine culture with regenerative crypto economics and you can have this fun, cool, sexy way to support public goods, right? It doesn't have to be this dry thing that a lot of us kind of think about when we think about climate change and maybe even like having like these negative connotations of like gloom and doom and it, we can make it fun. Right. And I think that's the key if we really want to make this kind of change is that it has to be interesting. It has to be intriguing. It has to make people curious and it has to inspire them. And NFTs unlock a lot of possibilities. We're still really new. Obviously there's a lot of like, you know, not very good NFT projects out there that kind of, you know, give some of the, some of the space a bad name, but ultimately it's a really cool tool that we can use to apply crypto regenerative economics, you know, right there. Yeah. And so that's maybe, you know, go into the, the idea of, um, funding public goods and, and specifically, um, what Gitcoin's doing. Um, cause they're, they're raising a lot of money right now for the public good space. Um, and, they also announced a cause round. So this is the 13th quarter that they're um, doing this matching grants um, and they included uh, additional um, areas to be um, fundraised for outside of just um, like Ethereum web-based public goods funding. Um, And they have um, broadened those to be some environmental offerings as well as uh, support of Ukraine. So uh, what were the three different cause rounds behind uh, Beyond Web3? Yeah, so Gitcoin is really cool because it, it, they use matching, but they use matching through quadratic uh, funding. And we'll explain that a little bit more. But essentially, they started off as raising funds for open source software development and that those kind of projects. But now they've broadened their horizons. And so there's a fund for climate change is one for human longevity research and science. And there's one for Ukraine that's focused on humanitarian aid and journalistic freedom. So they're not actually, you know, using it to buy weapons or something like that. So that's, those are all fantastic. And I think it's amazing that they've brought in their horizons and they've realized that, you know, as a leader in the space, they can go beyond just public goods fundraising for software, open source software and go into actual causes that are kind of social justice or humanitarian. And we've seen the success of this happen, you know, in the past six months, we saw Constitution DAO happen, tried and buy the Constitution. It actually didn't succeed, but it did. It was a proof of concept. They raised, you know, $49 million in under a week. And then we had uh, Julian Assange DAO or Assange DAO, you know, to support him. We had um, Ross DAO for Ross Albright, the creator of the Silk Road. And that was an NFT drop. And now we have Ukraine DAO um, that started. So people are seeing all these, you know, unique ways now that we can actually use DAOs. We can use public good fundraising. We can use crypto to create shelling points around causes that we care about and causes that are essentially good for all of us, you know, to support. And that brings me to East Denver, right? There was a mini one day conference like that call that happened before the big main keynote weekend on a Thursday before East Denver called the Shelling Point Conference at East Denver. And that was where we really heard a lot of these themes be talked about and on such a high um high level as far as you know and also in in a space like that where it was pretty much front and center taking the green pill at East Denver was a major theme that we walked away with. So what can you tell us what were more of the values about the shelling point and why was that important cash? The shelling point was really awesome to to be included and and that was again why it was such a resounding uh, region theme at East Denver. And they they had three main uh points that they put forward and it was one, we reject the doomerism left to us by legacy generations and legacy institutions. We believe that Ethereum is a shelling point for the hopeful, and we have come together to build a better world. And the weapon of choice is novel mechanism design 
deployed to decentralized blockchain networks. Boom. Yeah, it's 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 a great ethos. And for those that don't know what a shelling point is, a shelling point is a point of gathering, like a like a rallying point. And it's like a great common example is if you weren't sure where someone was going to meet you, you would maybe go to a place that you think other people would go as well. And that's kind of what Ethereum is. It's kind of this point that attracts um, a certain kind of optimistic uh, futurist that believes that, you know, we can create a better world working together. And so this whole conference, you know, that day was capitalizing on that theme that you have all these people who have aligned values. They're already at ETH Denver. So it's a very, you know, select crew of people that really want to be there, believe this stuff. And so, yeah, let's, let's connect and let's learn from each other of how we can apply the same kind of momentum and the same kind of ingenuity that we've used to build the building blocks of Web3 decentralized finance and NFTs. And let's apply those to regenerative crypto economic systems, aka taking the green pill. One of the best tools that we've had for that is quadratic funding. What can you tell us about quadratic funding? Why is that better than just regular funding or grant for grants? And what, what does it mean? Quadratic funding is super cool. Uh, it was kind of fine-tuned by uh, Vitalik and the team over at uh, GitHub um, to essentially have a more fair algorithmic uh, process for awarding matching grants and matching funding. Uh, and it's it's been used uh, with Gitcoin um, and last uh, series of matching um, caused round 12. Um, they had 27,000 donators. And the whole concept of quadratic funding, which makes it different than traditional fundraising, is that the matching funds are weighted based on the number of people who donate rather than the amount of money that gets donated. Um, so a project that has 1,000 donators who each donate $1 will receive a more of an impact matching fund than just a project that had one donor that donated $1,000 or even $2,000. Um, so it, it allows for a more democratic uh, allocation of funds. Yeah. So it rewards the preferences of the poor and the many and rather than the preferences of the rich and the few. And so it, it definitely weights things in a, in a much different way. And it's exciting because it allows projects that really need the funding to get the funding they need. And rather than the matching rounds uh, be dominated by a few whales, essentially, you have everyone can really have an impact no matter if they donate $5, $10, you know, and they still, their match, their donation still matters. And and we have some pretty exciting news about the Gitcoin uh, matching funding, the uh, Block Explorer is officially an applicant for the grants round thirteen. Yeah, so we were we applied for Gitcoin grants. We were accepted. So you can get involved with public goods funding and donate and contribute to the Block Explorer. And if you do, what you contribute will be matched by Gitcoin grants. So this is putting public goods to work right now. And you can just go on to their Gitcoin website and you can search it's gitcoin.com and you can search gitcoin.co and you can search for the block explorer on their grants page and we'll pop up. And that's an easy way. We'll also put the link in the show notes and we'll probably plug this again later too. So if you miss it, we'll, 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 we'll touch on, we'll touch on it again. <laughs> yeah, please, please do help us get the the word out about regenerative crypto economics and and to be an educational force and um and help us continue our mission. So any 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 amount is greatly uh, greatly appreciated. So thank you so much. Take the green pill and support public goods, like the Block Explorer, education for crypto curious free thinkers like yourself. All right. So, Cash, how do we build? public goods and the structures of how we build systems. What does that mean? And how does that compare to like other structures like corporations and things like that or nonprofits? Yeah. So in the past, you know, we have this idea of public benefit corporations and, you know, how they implement, you know, real lasting change um, into the economic system because of, you know, how they're positioned to um, do their mission and, and interact with the world. And um, where we're now seeing is that Ethereum can kind of help scale um, this optimistic sort of um, 
economic structure by leveraging smart contracts and um, programmable money. Yeah. So instead of just working within the old structures, right, where we could, you know, create a public benefit corporation or something, we're not just trying to change the structures, but we're actually trying to change how we build these systems. So the real lasting change is going to come from rewiring the economic system. It's going to come from where we set up a system where the transaction fees, instead of just going to miners, like they do on Ethereum, go to public goods. And when we scale Ethereum, we'll be able to build these systems and optimism as a layer two scaling solution on Ethereum is bundling bleeding edge technology, but it's also a political statement that public goods are good. And the way that they're building their system is, is it actually funding public goods. When you use optimism, you're funding public goods. So, you know, we're moving into a space where the financial infrastructure you use should embody the values that you believe. And you're going to be able to vote with not just your money, but you can vote with the rails on which you, you use to move your money around. I love it. And exactly. You know, how do you decide your values? Well, it's what we purchase. And if what we purchase can have those programmed into it, it just makes it from the beginning more transparent of what you are supporting with your dollar. You, you can know the externalities, positive or negative. I want to I want to ask a question. Um, we've we've talked about refi, regenerative finance. Um, how would you break that down um, to our listeners? Um, refi versus crypt, regenerative crypto economics. Um, take a stab. What what would you say? Yeah. So there's regenerative finance and there's regenerative economics, and I would say that refi is a system of financial tools that contribute to great the greater crypto economic system as a whole. And it's more related to the DeFi or decentralized finance movement, where ReFi sought to use DeFi tools and protocols for regenerative, making regenerative systems in the crypto space, or what we call regenerative crypto economics. Whereas uh, crypto economics is more than just finance, and you know you can have different forms of capital, and some of those forms are social material, financial, living, intellectual, experiential, spiritual, and cultural. And I think you have a little bit more details on each of those, but it, you know, it's kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, there's more to economics than just the financial system per se. You know, economics is the study of how we allocate scarce resources. And so if we look at, you know, scarce resources are more than just financial. And we have, you know, social resources and all these other forms of capital, cultural resources, intellectual resources. And so crypto economics is saying, how can we how can we use crypto tools to create systems that better allocate capital and not just financial capital, but all these other forms of capital as well? Yeah, absolutely. And in the eight forms of capital that you mentioned, we're going to um, talk to the proponent of um, that idea, uh, Gregory Landua um, from the Region Network, the founder of Region Network. He's going to be on our podcast uh, in a week. Um, so we'll we'll take a deeper dive into you know just how those eight different forms of capital kind of interact with each other and how they're more than just financial when we think of capital. I, I love that way of thinking because we we can get so caught up in like the financial part of crypto and web3 that we forget that you know these tools can be applied to so many other ways of organizing and we're kind of seeing that happen right now with DAOs right that's kind of a way of organizing our intellectual capital or our cultural capital or like even like our um even material capital right because you can donate through a DAO so and social so like you know i think what's cool is we're living through this crypto renaissance and when you when you change, you know, such fundamental things like the money, you create new primitives for organizing society. And that's what we're seeing with the uh, emergence of DAOs. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? And now you're seeing, you know, new ways of applying these systems. And that's we're just getting started with all these things. But let's zoom out even more. Okay, let's move on to part two. And let's talk about why this should matter. Like, why should you care? You know, why, like public goods are good. Okay. We, we agree on that. Like, it's good to have clean air. It's good to have like fresh water. It's good to have access to nature. It's good to have systems that work when you need them to work. But let's go a little deeper. Like, why does this matter to the everyday person? So let's ask ourselves, you know, 
what are public goods for? It's easy, public goods, right? And so what we mentioned in the beginning is um, the tragedy of the commons and sort of the overuse of certain systems um, and the the negligence of upkeep of those systems. And so, you know, we have everything from the the physical material world where we've seen polluted rivers, polluted air, oceans, deteriorating deforestation. But then there's also uh, the idea of public goods uh, with Ethereum. Um, And you mentioned earlier, you know, the billions of dollars a year that are giving out of block rewards to miners, but uh, less than one one hundredth of that going to public One one thousandth. One one thousandth of that going to actually upkeeping the public good infrastructure of Ethereum. And so this is we've seen this kind of play out into some problems with scaling um, and those sorts of things. So why don't you uh, fill us in a little bit more about that on the Ethereum side of things? Yeah, because Ethereum is a public good. It's a, it's a, it's an open permissionless public blockchain. So it's kind of like this giant public computer that anyone can use. And that the way that they built it, they didn't actually build in a mechanism to fund the maintenance and upkeep of Ethereum because it's a public good, and it, but it does take upkeep to keep you know developing it and making sure it runs the way it should and all these things. And they chose to prioritize the security of the network and make sure that the validators or the I'm mean, excuse me the miners um, were making sure they get their block rewards because if it's not secure, no one's even going to use it anyway. But then they kind of kick the can down the road when it comes to governance, because you know the hardest problem all is determining you know what is valuable, right? Because like that's the next question. Okay, we could, we agree that public goods are good, but then well, how do you define what is a public good? What is valuable to society? How do we decide that? And ultimately, that's a governance question, right? Which is arguably the most difficult question you can have, and. We definitely, as humans, haven't figured that out yet. There's lots of different experiments running right now across the world about that, um, some working out better than others. And we have to figure out a, a, a way to talk about the question of what is valuable. And we need to figure out a system to define what is valuable for our culture, our communities. And that's the one way that then we can start to talk about, you know, what public goods do we fund? and what mechanisms are going to, are we going to use to fund those public goods? But ultimately, you know, we have to understand that what is valuable to the public isn't always what is like really profitable as a business. And so there's this asymmetry in the market, and it's an egregious market failure because it doesn't always the market doesn't always recognize the value of public goods. And so this is why we have to make sure we we take a step back and be like, okay, well, how can we make sure? that the things that we're all using and all benefiting from persist into the future in a way that's still beneficial for for all of us rather than things that deteriorate or things that get corrupted or things that just fall into a level of disrepair like some of the infrastructure you know you can look at like in in our country in the United States like you see some of these bridges and stuff or like you know some of these uh, train systems and they haven't been updated in so long and that's a public good, right? That's a coordination error that we have because this is something that we all share. We all benefit from from having you know reliable, safe transportation, but it's something that the market doesn't really re- reward on its own. So we have to make sure that you know the government is you know passing things like the infrastructure bill to make sure that those things get funded. That's a, that's a very simple example of public goods, but you know you can look deeper and see that okay, this this these other things like financial systems like like why does Visa, you know, and and all these banks that run these, like you know, you could consider banking a public good, you know, or like having access to financial resources a public good. But you get the way that these systems are designed. I mean, there's so many rent seeking intermediaries that, like, you know, they're taking so much of a cut, you know, versus the average consumer that it, it's not really fair because, especially because those funds aren't necessarily going to improve the structure and the networks of those systems are just going to the pockets of the corporations. Absolutely. And and going back to our, our first point of the programmable values of money, uh, it, it's allowing to uh, allocate towards these different aspects that you're talking about that usually get left under the rug. I don't actually get funded. So um, because of um, what a public 
blockchain like Ethereum and other public open source soft chain, uh, software blockchains allow for is to quote the Green Pill book, uh, Web3 is a global, immutable, transparent, and programmable mechanism for human resource allocation. And so that's where uh, we can really use uh, the Turing Complete smart contract platform. And one really cool concept that is mentioned with this um, new technology is skeuomorphism. Um, and it's the design concept of uh, making items that are uh, represented um, by you know real world counterparts. And what the crypto economic uh, regenerative movement um, is really developing is the non-skeuomorphic. Um, so this is things that could not have existed before something else. And thus, all of the tools that regenerative crypto economics can bring to the table because of the public blockchain were never even possible before this technology existed. And that's just what's so exciting because the ideas that we have right now for solving problems are based on our past ideas of what exists. But because of the new regenerative crypto uh, refi tools, we can program values into money in a way that was never before possible. Well put, Cash. I really like that. And skeuomorphism is an interesting concept because it's this idea that when we, as humans, when we're confronted with a blank slate of a new technological unlock, we don't always know how to really apply it yet because it just is like so new and the possibilities that it unlocks are several steps of innovation into the future that it takes a little while of tinkering and it maybe takes a couple of iterations of things before it really, the, the technology really starts to take off and land about what, what's possible. And you can look at web one is often pointed as a great example that we first had when the internet first launched, it was like taking like a lot of magazines and newspapers, essentially just putting them on, uh, on the internet. Right. And so you could just look at the New York Times, but it was just like reading like the, the actual paper New York Times. And it was just like these really static web pages, right? They had really no interaction with anything else. And then, and then we had web two where you had social and you had interaction. And then really what took off is we had mobile, right? And then no one realized that, wow, okay, the internet really would take off once everyone had a smartphone in their pocket, essentially a supercomputer in their pocket they're walking around with. And then that's going to allow all these other applications that are going to be built based upon mobile. And that's when the internet's really going to turn a corner and become this like huge force. And when web one started and you're just like looking at, you know, these static web pages, it, it was you, to imagine what's possible with, with an iPhone now in 2022, it, 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 I mean, like, yes, you could have like maybe thought of something like that, but it was just so many leaps ahead that it was so hard to, you know, just come out and be like, oh yeah, that's where that's going. Of course. Like people couldn't have, it was, you couldn't really ideate something like Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat until we had the iPhone. And that wasn't until 2008, you know, and the internet first was, you know, coming, you know, coming around in like the late nineties, mid to late nineties, where people were doing those kind of like silly static web pages. So what what it is is that when we come across these new things, we we don't really know how they're going to develop, and the first iterations are usually not the ones that stay. And so, the tools that we're going to be able to create with crypto economics and these regenerative mindset is completely new stuff. It's the new new, right? Cash, it's something like we've never seen before. And I know it sounds cliche to say, but it really is like we don't even know what some cool people are going to make with these with these with these technologies, but a lot of it is money Legos. Right. Yeah. And, and the composability of these different tools, right? So the DeFi and now refi are with the open source software um, projects can build upon other projects and not reinvent the wheel. And they can build an application on top of an existing application that then just creates more leverage for using financial tools that were typically only accessible to uh, very large institutions or accredible uh, investors. And now uh, average everyday people can have access to these tools. Yeah. And public goods can also be something that's funded retroactively. So someone that contributes to a system or an economy or some other kind of public good that didn't get rewarded at the moment, you can look back 
and you can find those people and you can pay those people for the work they provided to the public. And something we can look at is, you know, there's different blockchain systems that are doing this. Like optimism is one of the exploring retroactive public goods funding. But, you know, one of the questions that comes up is like, how do you decide ultimately what to retroactively fund? How do you define a public good? Like we said, it's a, it is a gradient, it's a gray area. And the one way that they have come up with a system is using a framework of a fairness ratio, which equals impact divided by profit. So you want everything to be fair in how you're kind of allocating these funds. So given what, if someone were to give one unit of impact, they should receive one unit of profit out, right? That's value in and value out one-to-one ratio. One unit of value of impact should equal one unit of profit. The thing is, it doesn't always work out that way. And so public goods are pretty much like a way of making public goods, uh, I mean, a way of making the economy more fair and correct because of market inefficiencies. And um, Carl Flourish, the founder of Optimism, is is a big proponent of this. And he kind of goes on about a little, that, a little bit about that on one of the Green Pill episodes with Kevin Owaki that I found really inspiring. So I think it's episode two on the Green Pill. So if you haven't checked that out, check that out. But you know, looking at the long-term view cash, what is the end game here? What is what are, what are we trying to looking to create long-term, and, and how do we sum it all up for our listeners about what this really means? To quote Carl Flourish: uh, "Public goods is about making the economy more fair and correct market inefficiencies." So. Going back to the idea um, that you talked about earlier of the misalignment um, and um, how there are all these negative externalities. Well, if we are beginning to incorporate programmable money into our um, economic systems, um, then the end game would essentially be that all of the activity on Web3 um, has some sort of uh, regenerative externality built into them and thus aligning our values with our actual economic framework. Exactly. So it's coming up with systems for value discovery for humanity and to trust and work with systems that reward our values and have systems that reflect those those values. So we have, you know, we want to have an economic infrastructure where people who put in value receive value. And right now it's not always the case. You know, we have, you know, some some open source software that was created by people, you know, for free. It's form, it forms the bedrock of a lot of the big tech corporations we have in the world. Like I mean, there are a lot of a lot of them use Linux, which was open source software and at their at their kernel, at their base. And now we have all these, you know, billion dollar companies that are making money off of like what was a once once open source software. And so, you know, that's something to really, you know, think about is like, you know. How do we make sure that the, the infrastructure we're building reflects our values? We don't want to have to worry about you know people having to worry about profit that are creating a lot of value. We want people to be free to contribute because they know they're going to get paid for the value they're contributing. And so we kind of are correcting this asymmetry between value created and value captured, which we have in the legacy financial system. And the yeah, more and- that you close the asymmetry, between the value you create versus the value you capture, the more you can just focus on creating value rather than the mechanisms for collecting value, aka maximizing profit. So you can actually just maximize value, maximize impact, maximize change, rather than trying to maximize bottom line. And that just changes the whole equation for a lot of people and frees them up to do what they love, do what they're great at, and make a real difference in the industry and the field that they're working in. Absolutely. And and that's one of the coolest things I think about the retroactive public goods funding is rewarding people who were putting open source and non-financial uh, things at the top of their preferences. You know, people who were building for the benefit of everyone and then getting rewarded after the fact. Oh, hey, here's a bonus. Thanks for doing what you did. Um, so that that is something I think really cool. And then um, you know, kind of kind of close off this this section of, you know long-term view is really it comes back to the governance question. And then, you know, what is the mechanism to determine our values? And and I I would say that goes often into that 
question of um, how do we program our money and, and what do we put into those values, um, but also the governance, who, who makes those decisions and, and how do we come to that agreement? Yeah, and I think this is where DAOs come in and new structures for, for governance, which we're just kind of in the tip of the iceberg. And we're going to have, we're going to talk a little bit more about some DAOs that are making an impact. But you're right that the, it ultimately does kind of circle back to how do we collectively determine what's valuable as a society? And there's different ways of doing that. You know, in the United States, we have a, you know, our, our representative democracy. And the way that it's working right now, though, I mean, it doesn't seem to be working very well. And that's what's kind of alarming is that we're facing challenges that the institutions that we have right now, the systems we have right now are just not very good at responding to. We saw what happened with COVID and the pandemic and it, you could kind of look across the world, right? And you could just see the different responses from different structures and different systems of government and what worked and what didn't. And, you know, I'm not, this isn't a COVID pandemic podcast. I'm just saying it's just interesting to notice and to evaluate and to look, right? When there's an emergency, how well does the systems you you have built respond? And, you know, and we, you can make, you know, we could talk all day about, you know, what worked and what didn't in different places, but the, the idea itself is to like, okay, well, maybe the systems we have right now are just not keeping up with society. They're not keeping up with our tech. They're not keeping up with the problems that we're facing and the solutions that we need, which is a, a lot of them are really based off mass coordination, right, Cash? So what crypto regenerative, regenerative crypto economics, what, what all of this stuff with taking the green pill really is, is taking a step back and saying, okay, where do we want to go? How do we get there? And then how do we build the systems that make sure we get there? And then it's not like putting band-aids on a sinking ship rather than using the systems we build in the first place to, to propel us there. So let's take a look you know, in part three about who's taking the green pill, pill and how you can also take the green pill as well. Well, we'd be remiss not to start off at the top of the list with the Region Network. Um, we'd reference you back to episode number 22 of the Block Explorer, where uh, we interviewed the director of marketing, Dave Fortson, uh, for the Region Network. And we're really excited to have the founder, Gregory Landua, on uh, next week. Um, but just to quote their uh, mission statement, at Region Network, our community's gold, it, goal is to build foundational fintech infrastructure for ecological claims and data. This means serving as the layer zero upon which other projects and protocols may build upon and harness to execute their own climate-focused business models. Using a distributed ledger and modern remote sensing technology, our team is creating new tools for how humanity relates to its environment. So Colin, tell us a little bit about how they're building this out. It, it is its own blockchain, and that's what they chose to do is create, create a blockchain um, with climate-focused business models. Yeah, Regen Network's trying to become like the Ethereum of the crypto or generative crypto economic field and space. And so, right, you're going to have the, the problems that you have with a lot of these systems, right? If you're going to, if you're focusing on environmental things, is how do you measure, you know, the data accurately? How do you have accuracy? How do you have a way to verify these things? And Region Network has assembled a team of scientists and engineers and technologists and futurists and environmentalists with an amazing array of expertise. And they're actually building a system using the Internet of Things and satellites and the latest in all this kind of climate science to actually build out ways to verify if someone is capturing more carbon and have that be represented on their chain and, and as verifiable data. So they have uh, some ranches in Australia that they're using that are, ca that are capturing carbon, cattle ranches in Australia. They also have um, some nature preserves in Kenya They have or that are grasslands. And so they're basically making new primitives for the crypto climate ecosystem and allowing the space to to develop they're creating kind of like the the infrastructure so that other people can build on top of it and make new kind of composability crypto money legos that focus on public goods yeah the region network is doing some really cool uh impact projects 
For one, they're partnered with Microsoft to offset the entirety of Microsoft's carbon footprint since the 1970s. And that is pretty cool and bullish, if you ask me. Yeah, they're really cool. We're, we're real big fans and big shout out to our friend Dave Fortson, who's been a great supporter of the Block Explorer since we started. And we really appreciate everyone at the Regen Network for what they do. So moving on, another protocol that is using the Regen Network is ClimaDAO. Um, and they're a really cool protocol that is locking up verifiable CO2 offsets onto the blockchain. And so their whole concept is to uh, take... CO2 offsets off the market and uh, thus increase the price of carbon offsets to encourage corporations and people to be more sustainable rather than just purchase cheap carbon offsets. And to this date, they have uh, absorbed 17 million tons of carbon. 17 million tons of carbon. That's a lot of carbon cash. Taken off the market, baby. That's a lot of carbon tons. So... I like Job because they are creating a new system where they're capturing carbon, making carbon scarce, and therefore the price of carbon. When some company goes and tries to buy carbon on the carbon market, they're going to pay a little bit more because carbon credits are becoming more scarce. And the goal is to drive the price of buying carbon credits so high that it incentivizes these companies rather than going after the fact, after polluting buying carbon offsets to offset their activities. Instead, they'll change and innovate their processes in such a way that they won't need to go buy carbon offsets. They'll just become more carbon friendly. They'll become carbon neutral. They'll become carbon negative. And that's kind of the long-term view of ClimaDAO and what they're working on. We also are a really fun project with our friend Timo or Thomas Morgan of Basin Dow. He was on episode uh, 28, right, Cash? Yep, definitely go look at that episode. Uh, we love what Basin Dow is doing. Um, they're focusing more on natural capital, um, and they believe that if you have poorly managed natural capital, it uh, not only becomes a ecological liability, but a social and economic as well. And so uh, they're helping to kind of better align sustainable land practices with... Um, real estate investments and land stewardship. Yeah. And another thing that doesn't get talked about a lot as part of natural capital is biodiversity. And biodiversity is just as important to ecosystem health as, you know, some of the climate aspects and they're all related, you know, together. And so they're taking a look at like a lot of these um, real estate opportunities of places that have been mismanaged or in, in neglect or just kind of managed in a way that doesn't take, you know, these principles into account and using, you know, investment tools, using regenerative crypto economics to regenerate this actual, you know, real estate capital, right? We talked about the different kinds of capital and, you know, there's, there's several different kinds of capital that you have here, because if you have, you know, a, an area that's just defunct and it's, and it's, kind of dilapidated, right? It's not even, it's not just an, an, um, you know, environmental thing, but it, you know, it also is a cultural, you know, thing, right? That place could be, there could be, there's so much opportunity cost and like having like a dilapidated block, like in your neighborhood, right. With like abandoned houses or something, or like a closed like strip mall or something. There's so many other things that could be going on there that, and so it's kind of taking a look at how do you use these systems and you take a look at real estate, you take a look at how we design cities, towns, you know, exurbs, suburbs, and actually use these principles in, in a intentional way. Yeah. We're really excited for that interview. Definitely go check out episode 28. Uh, the next protocol that we want to shed some light on is the Toucan protocol. Um, and they're actually doing uh, some pretty cool stuff right now, actually partnered with ClimaDAO, um, where they're creating um, carbon pool smart contracts and allowing for base carbon tons to be pooled um, and then being able to to leverage those pools to, to help offset uh, some transactions. What else can you tell us about them? It's really cool because you can connect your wallet and you can use their protocol to offset different transactions that you've done. So it's 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 a very simple thing, but it, it's, it means a lot. And what you're doing at the same time is you're minting carbon credits onto the chain, and those become decentralized finance DeFi building blocks. So then you can they can go and use, and as part of the greater 
decentralized finance ecosystem. So it's a win-win-win for everyone. You get to offset the carbon in from your wallet. You get to mint these new kind of DeFi primitives, and you get to support the environment. So go offset your wallet with Toucan Protocol. Another offset is uh, the Acorn market, uh, which is an NFT marketplace that's spelled A-K-O-R-N, Acorn. Um, and that's... out also actively sequestering carbon uh, from NFT transactions. Uh, so that's a really cool one because we know we have um, heard a lot of feedback from, from listeners and just people in the space about the quote-unquote unsustainability of NFTs, which you know a lot of times comes down to which blockchain they're on, if they're proof of work or proof of stake, proof of work being 99% more than proof of stake. So you know we are moving towards a much more sustainable market with proof of stake, um, but this Acorn market allows you to actively sequester carbon from NFT transactions. We also met a group of developers at East Denver uh, that were making a protocol called the Return Protocol. And their goal is to create a protocol that runs in the background and just offsets your wallet transactions as you go. So as you're going around and doing your different transactions, buying NFTs, selling NFTs, uh, doing DeFi in the background, you'll have this return protocol that runs and just offsets every all the carbon that you that that you would need to make your wallet carbon neutral. So, they're in their early stages, but we're really excited about what they're making and we're hoping to have them as guests on our podcast too because they're really cool. Another really cool DAO is called Refi Daoist um, and their tagline is a traditional dream farm. Uh, and it's actually an in real life uh, regenerative community and they're using uh, DAO token voting uh, to do actually on the ground uh, sustainable living, um, but with the framework of a DAO. Um, so they're really cool too. We'll be having them on in the coming weeks. So definitely wait and uh, keep an eye out for that episode. And I was at the Breckenridge regenerative finance meetup that happened after ETH Denver. And I met some really cool people from Reverse Token, RVRS Token. And they are creating a project that issues tokens that are doing crypto and climate change projects. And you can buy, use, or sell their token to create a positive impact against climate change. And they use blockchain to verify and prove that. And you can track your own verifiable data it's super cool, super simple, and they have funded a bunch of projects right now. They've funded some that are about reducing water usage, helping biodiversity, supporting bees, restoring soil health, reducing water pollution, educating on climate, planting trees, and sequestering carbon. So if you want to learn more about them, you can go to reverseclimatechange.com and get involved with them and also maybe join their Discord. Super cool. Speaking of planting trees and offsetting carbon, there's a really cool NF. T project called NF Trees. Great pun. We love it. Uh, and that's from our friend Jade, who we actually met at um, the Shelling Point uh, Refi uh, Summit at ETH Denver. And they're doing really cool uh, NFT project where the purchase of an NFT actually purchases a live tree that's um, already developed, been grown to a few feet tall, and then it gets planted uh, in urban LA, in East LA, Northeast LA. Um, and so this is, uh, you know, an, an active participation in carbon offsetting with an NFT. You're not just, you know, having it, you know, be directed, the funds directed towards some cool project. This NFT project is it's actively planting trees um, and they're just actually launching this week. Um, so we definitely uh, suggest you check them out, NFT house h-a-u-s and uh, go see what they're doing because that's actually some really tangible on the ground uh carbon offsets that are happening i really like her project because she's she mentioned when she was at the refi summit at east denver is that they want to have the trees planted in urban environments because they want to actually have that social element as part of it where rather than just have these trees go planted in some far off forest which is also what a lot of these projects do which is also really cool i'm not trying to throw shade pun intended on those other NFT projects. But it is, she said that, you know, the trees that get planted in the, these urban environments, they're going to have a little QR code thing, like a medallion that's that's near them or somehow incorporated. So people walking by can learn about the project and get involved. And then you could actually go visit your own tree as well, right? Whereas like it's in some random forest, you know, in, in Montana, you know, maybe you can't go visit it as easily. So I think there... And one of the things that I really liked about what Jade was saying is that we have to find ways to make 
regenerative crypto economics cool and fun and and hip. And the way that you do that is by you know letting people you know go visit these trees is a simple step rather than just have them in some far off forest that you can't even see. And it's just very conceptual and abstract. So these are all simple things, but these are all steps in the right direction. And I was inspired by her and inspired what she's doing. So get involved with NFT Treehouse. Yes, sir. Do it. And then just kind of to finish off this this last section on uh, you know tangible refi things happening is UMA Protocol is uh, doing what they consider poverty finance um, and and trying to reduce global poverty through DeFi tools. So this is allowing access to financial tools and uh, you know bringing you know more than one billion people out of poverty. And that can have a lot of uh, ramifications too positively because a lot of environmental degradation is is happening just because people are trying to survive and they don't have the tools to live a thriving life. And so if we can help bring people out of poverty, uh, there's a lot of um, positive, um, regenerative tools that can then be leveraged. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard to care about the environment if you're struggling to feed your family. So right, poverty is one of those things that we have. We kind of have to take care of that first before we can take care of a lot of other things. And that's also what crypto is doing it takes the intermediaries out it takes the power and the all the wealth concentration out from the center and it pushes it to the edges we have airdrops we have decentralized ways of working we have all new systems of pushing wealth pushing investment to the edges and gitcoin grants is a way to push wealth to the edges with quadratic funding it supports the priorities of the few i mean of the many and the poor rather than the few and the well-financed. So we like to remind you to get involved by going to Gitcoin Grants and looking at their round 13 grants. There's a bunch of amazing grants out there. You don't have to support ours, but we would be very grateful if you did. You can search the Block Explorer on that website. will pop up right away if you just search. Or you can go check out the website. And our website will have a link and also in the show notes. But the main takeaway here is get involved with Public goods, you know, you don't have to donate. You can also work on public goods. You can get involved. You can go to Gitcoin. You can look at what they have open proposals. You can get involved in a DAO. You know, there's a whole bunch of ways you can get involved in supporting public goods. You can go volunteer old school way at a local nonprofit. That's a way to get involved with public goods. Thing is, you know, you can't be neutral on a moving bus. So, you know, get involved. Do what you want to do to help our communities thrive. Said it there. Get involved. Yeah, Cash. So what what else, you know, closing thoughts here on public goods, taking the green pill, what, any other things that are getting you excited, inspired about this space, any other last things that you want our listeners to know? I know that you've been reading the green pill book and you're stoked on green pilling people. So green pill us a little bit more, if you will. My takeaway would be that it's here. It's not a lofty idea. Uh, it is actually being built out and there are tangible projects happening right now. Um, like we said, 17 million tons of carbon sequestered on the climate block um, sequestration on the region blockchain. So it's happening right now. And uh, it's not something that is just being talked about. So like you said, go um, try to get involved and do some research on your own and where it really resonates with you, contribute, support with your time, uh, with your energy and uh, you know help us I would, I would love for you to help us dispel the myth that climate change and crypto are misaligned. And, and really, um, I would, would love it if, if we can share with as many people about the, the really beneficial, beautiful, uh, world-changing, regenerative tools that crypto and blockchain are creating. Awesome. I agree. And I think that it's really easy to be pessimistic or kind of gloomy or melancholy when you look around at the world today and you see what's going on and you see, you look at the news and you see what's going on in Ukraine. And it's, 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 it's easy to kind of just be like, well, screw it. I'm just going to go do what I want to do and, and not care about the public good. Right. I'm just going to prioritize the individual myself, me, myself and I, and I'm just going to go get mine and do what I want and screw you to everyone else. And, um, uh, I just kind of, you know, that's it's a kind of a sad way to live and you kind of miss out on um the fun of building things with 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 people that can actually make an impact. And I think that's what's cool that you know, like what keeps me excited in crypto is that it's this great community of people who have a positive outlook of the future. 
They believe that the future can be better than today. They believe that we can use technology as a means for creating wealth, distributing wealth, creating wellness, distributing economic wealth, but also distributing human wealth, you know, distributing environmental wealth, you know, creating, making systems that if you put value in, you get value out. And I think that's what's cool is that there's this shining light of, okay, yeah, like there's a lot of things that are tough right now, but there's also really cool things that we can do that we can build together that unlock new opportunities and new possibilities. And that's what taking the green pill is. It's, it's, it's also taking this stance of saying, I look forward to the future and I'm going to connect with other people who have this, this, this alignment between the, the value they want to create and the value that society should derive from that value that they create. And you can get, you can be part of that. And listening to this podcast and sharing this podcast with people is, is one of the first steps that you can do. So thank you so much for listening and being a part of the movement of regenerative crypto economics. We're going to wrap it up. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave us a review. Like to give a big thank you to our friend, Matthew Patrick Donner, who's responsible for the Block Explorer production, including our music, mixing and editing. Thank you for exploring the world of blockchain with us. Crypto is changing the world. We're here to ensure that you're ready. Please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends or family. And if you love what we do, uh, please do share our Gitcoin grant uh, with anyone that you think would be interested in supporting educational regenerative crypto economics. We look forward to sharing our next episode with you. Cheers. Cheers.